previously on Flying the Line, Continental operates on cruise control during much of the Bob's six days. This podcast is brought to you by the Airline Pilots Association. ALPA supports its pilots through a variety of resources, including Pilots for Pilots, our emergency relief fund, where pilot donations help provide grants to those who have suffered from a widespread natural disaster. To donate, apply for a grant, or learn more, visit alpaorg P4P. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association, a bridge from the book Flying the Line, Volume 2, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 11, Bad Dude Rising, Frank Lorenzo Grabs Continental, Part 2. The 22-day Continental pilot strike of 1976 marked a watershed of sorts for the pilots' relations with management. Although a majority of Continental's pilots saw their airline as family, an increasing number of junior flyers grew skeptical of both the company's intentions and the senior pilots' pro-company bias. This problem came to a head over Continental's history of seasonal furloughs, which had historically been short. Senior pilots regarded these furloughs as a normal part of paying professional dues. But to junior pilots, the furloughs were intolerable, a prime example of managerial incompetence. As the company's financial position became shakier, two relatively long furloughs in 1970 and 1974 affected a substantial number of junior Continental pilots. Thus, they were the catalyst in the 1976 strike. Put simply, they were tired of living under the threat of furloughs and flying for 80% of the pay their counterparts at other airlines received. Bob Strauss and Larry Baxter were two key players in this strike, both members of the Continental Negotiating Committee. They all but took the play away from Gary Thomas, the MEC chair. With the assistance of Jim Ranella, LEC chair at Los Angeles, Continental's largest domicile, Strauss and Baxter seized effective control. Thomas was closely tied to a group of senior pilots who had dominated ALPA affairs at Continental throughout the 1960s. Highly intelligent but abrasive, Baxter was generally regarded as the most militant of the junior group. One startling aspect of the 1976 strike was a series of angry confrontations between J.J. O'Donnell and the Continental pilot leadership. For example, during a meeting in Washington, D.C., the Continental Negotiating Committee became so angry with O'Donnell's criticisms of their tactics, timing, and expenditures that they walked out on him. The ALPA president really laid into Baxter during that stormy meeting in Washington. O'Donnell told him he wasn't competent to conduct negotiations and that he was going to take the Continental pilots right off the cliff. O'Donnell, previously burned by an unsuccessful strike on Northwest, was increasingly skeptical of the effectiveness of strikes. He had made no secret of his belief that Continental's pilot leaders were behaving unwisely, and he feared a strike would poison the well of good-faith bargaining that had previously existed at Continental. 
Even more alarming to O'Donnell was the junior Continental pilot's unyielding negotiating stance, which he feared would force a strike that might drive the carrier into bankruptcy. O'Donnell was acutely aware that bankruptcy could lead to the revocation of union contracts. O'Donnell remained skeptical that a strike could be an effective weapon under these circumstances. In his mind, every time ALPA tried to use it, the organization lost. He told the Continental pilots in 1976 they had much better alternatives as long as they stayed within the perimeters of the Railway Labor Act. O'Donnell had good reason to fear that bankruptcy might lead to the end of the pilot collective bargaining agreements. In an eerie foreshadowing of Lorenzo's later use of bankruptcy laws, Universal Airlines, a cargo operation based in Michigan, had broken its ALPA contract in 1971 through the auspices of a bankruptcy judge. ALPA contested this contract nullification, but before it could be resolved in the courts, Universal ceased operations in May 1972, putting 400 ALPA pilots on the street. O'Donnell had been forced to deal with this fallout during his first term as ALPA president. In 1968, Universal had signed an ALPA contract, but the victory was short-lived. After the airline declared bankruptcy in 1971, its pilots worked without a union contract until it shut down. O'Donnell, aware that bankruptcy could jeopardize a contract, worried that Continental's pilots were courting a similar disaster in 1976. Frank Lorenzo was definitely aware of this tactic to void contracts. Fresh out of school with his MBA degree, Lorenzo had worked for Universal as a financial analyst. At the time of Continental's 1976 strike, O'Donnell was privately furious with MEC Chair Gary Thomas for letting things get so out of hand that a bankruptcy declaration might be possible. O'Donnell suggested that Thomas made the mistake of letting that militant third of the pilot group, guys like Larry Baxter, get out of hand. But an ALPA president interferes directly in the internal affairs of an MEC at his peril. O'Donnell could only watch with rising alarm and disapproval as the negotiating committee, in the absence of firm control from a generationally divided MEC, allowed itself to be maneuvered into a strike that most Continental pilots did not want. The strike was a bitter experience for the pilots, destroying their good relationship with management and leaving everybody angry. During a brutally candid closed session shortly after the strike began, O'Donnell chastised the MEC for failing to control its negotiators, ripped into Los Angeles LEC chair Jim Rinella for filing an unauthorized lawsuit, and denounced the Continental pilot leaders for tacitly condoning an illegal shutdown. Continental promptly sued ALPA over these tactics. O'Donnell told the MEC reps he was shocked at the violation of ALPA policy and the Constitution and bylaws. The Continental pilots were in a mess, despite the fact he had repeatedly cautioned against any type of a slowdown. Under the law, they were charged to make certain they prevent one. There wasn't much ALPA could have done about the lawsuit at that point. The union was trapped. The company now had all the ingredients to deny the pilots an equitable agreement, 
and tie up their key people and all their legal resources in court. Eventually, under this kind of pressure, the Continental MEC forced the negotiating committee to resign. They installed a new bargaining team, which agreed to a settlement that the junior Continental contingent did not like. The 1976 strike caused the Continental pilots to enter the first years of deregulation in the late 1970s badly divided. The stresses of free market economics soon soured many more Continental pilots on the company's policies, enabling the junior pilots to repair relations with them and win control of the MEC. Larry Baxter dropped out of Alpa work temporarily, but Bob Strauss became MEC chair, replacing Gary Thomas. A growing resentment toward O'Donnell festered, but was kept under control since Strauss and O'Donnell formed a friendship in the late 1970s. In fact, it was widely assumed that O'Donnell was grooming Strauss as his replacement. But O'Donnell could barely tolerate most of the junior continental crowd, and he disliked Baxter in particular. The Continental pilots would later support Hank Duffy against O'Donnell at the 1982 BOD meeting, with the wounds of the strike and its aftermath still fresh in their minds. Larry Baxter, whom O'Donnell thought a dangerous radical, would emerge as the Continental MEC chair following the death of Bob Strauss in 1982. Although terminally ill, Strauss had clung to power until he was involuntarily removed by the MEC. Baxter, partly because of his bad relationship with O'Donnell and his intense nature, inspired both considerable opposition and fervent admiration among the 15-member MEC. These internal stresses afflicting the Continental Pilot Group reached a boiling point just at the time of Frank Lorenzo's arrival. CEO Bob Six's peaceful kingdom was left in shambles by the early 1980s. Several events led to it, including the unpleasantness of the 1976 strike, the substantial expansion of the pilot roster in the mid-1960s, and the initial adverse effects of deregulation. The building pilot resentment eventually included even Six himself, who cleverly used the Mutual Aid Pact to turn a $15 million profit during the strike, while his airline's operation floundered and his disillusioned employees fumed on the picket line. Six's successor, Al Feldman, did his best to patch up morale. He eventually became something of a hero to the Continental pilots through his resistance to Lorenzo. But nothing could replace the lost tradition of mutual trust. Pride in the airline and the pilot's sense of personal identification with it did not entirely die but the Continental pilots were deeply suspicious of management by the early 1980s. Ironically, relations between the company and its pilots improved temporarily. The conflict between Baxter and O'Donnell deflected some rank-and-file resentments from management to Alpa National. When things go wrong, Alpa gets the blame. The strike did give the Continental pilots a certain sense of pride and a psychological uplift through the solidarity they achieved. But this temporary internal harmony cost a considerable amount in intra-ALPA goodwill. Instead of being angry at ALPA, the Continental pilots should have focused on other factors, such as the Presidential Pay Board, 
which aggravated existing pay inequities between themselves and other pilot groups. The Nixon-era salary restraints penalized unionized workers excessively, but ALPA members in the 1970s, predominantly Republican, were not yet ready to deal with national politics. Continental's pilots would never achieve the dream of a Delta-type contract due to national political trends and the shape of the economy. But many Continental pilots viewed their 1976 job action as a victory because they did win some gains that brought them closer to parity with other pilot groups. The Continental MEC behaved with increasing independence from Alpa National as their airline's situation deteriorated during the final years of the O'Donnell era. Deregulation had something to do with this, as it served to weaken the power of unions and union leaders. Proof lies in the Continental pilot's willingness to ignore O'Donnell's advice and cross other unions' picket lines. Although the MEC wanted to support the AFA in 1980, the pilots angrily rejected any sympathy action. When the Continental pilots believe these strikes jeopardize their carrier's future, they were capable of some very bad manners. In February 1981, reality landed on Continental's pilots with a thud. After 38 years, the Bob Six era was over. The legendary pioneer, discouraged by the new deregulated system he didn't understand, announced his retirement. Six's hand-picked successor was Al Feldman. Pete Lappin served as the MEC vice chair during 1983. He echoed the sentiments of many Continental pilots when commenting on the sad events surrounding Feldman, who died by suicide on the eve of Frank Lorenzo's takeover. Lappin had talked to Feldman the morning before he died. Feldman asserted that the pilots were in a lot more serious trouble than they had allowed themselves to believe. Lappin speculated that Feldman seemed surprisingly relaxed, perhaps because he'd already made his tragic decision. Under the old system of regulation, Lappin believed Feldman would have been a superb CEO. However, times had changed. The future belonged to Frank Lorenzo, who would come in like a till of the Hun, and the rank-and-file pilot, because of the legacy of Bob Six, would be unprepared for this new style of leadership. Next time on Flying the Line, Hank Duffy inherits the debacle at Continental. Thank you for listening. This has been Chapter 17, Part 1 of Flying the Line 2 by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 2000. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or find us on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association International. Production copyright Alpha 2023, all rights reserved.